You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. So good morning everyone and welcome to our 16th conference on the Balkans. We live, I think all of us agree, we live in very unpredictable times. There are many unknown unknowns out there. The world is changing very fast. And in fact, over the last 10 months since our last conference on the Balkans, the world has changed very, very much. The refugee crisis that we talked about in some detail last year has abated somewhat through the Balkans route. It's abated, but we're not sure that the pressure is off just yet. We've had the Brexit decision by the UK that of course has cast a pall on what happens next in the European Union. And there are several elections coming up among fears amid fears of rising populism nationalism in the European Union. We have elections coming up in the Netherlands, in France and in Germany and of course we've had reassuring news just now from elections in Austria, less reassuring from the Italian referendum. We've also got the election of Donald Trump in the United States and that is an unknown. Um unknown. We don't know how this election, how the new president of the United States is going to deal with the EU and deal with the Western Balkans. We've also got elections coming up in the Western Balkans. We've got elections in Macedonia next Sunday, Albania and Serbia next year. So a great deal of momentum, changes, transformations in our wake. And we have said at the Paris summit uh, in July this year that none of this Brexit etc is going to impact on the European Union's relations with the Western Balkans but is that really true is that really what's going to happen Before I we kick start this discussion two things first of all I'd like to really thank very warmly Conrad Adenauer Stiftung we've been working very closely with KS on our Balkans and other uh, conferences and activities over the last many years also like to thank the UNDP Thank you very much indeed also for your cooperation and the Regional Cooperation Council and all our other partners as well. And before we start this conversation, this discussion, I'd also like you to hear or watch some of the slides that we have from Debating Europe. Debating Europe is our online uh, platform for discussion between policymakers and ordinary citizens. And what they say I think is sometimes really the home truths. So let's Let's see first and I'm going to read it out very quickly. Stefan from Germany says, realistically the Western Balkans have no viable long-term alternative to EU accession. However, the EU must provide these countries with an honest and realistic timetable for the respective membership processes instead of endlessly dangling the proverbial carrot in front of them. Failure to do so will only strengthen nationalist elements in these countries. Hervé from Croatia also has yes uh, and he says many Balkan countries are returning to nationalist rhetoric and it cannot end well this trend must be stopped before it is too late and finally we have Christos from Greece who says EU accession for the Western Balkans will be a long and difficult process and many states might decide to turn inwards or towards Russia for a quick solution. 
So uh, I'd like our panel to keep these comments in mind as we start our conversation. Let me introduce them very, very briefly. You have their detailed CVs, impressive detailed CVs in your pack. So Angelina Eikos is from the External Action Service. Welcome. She's standing in for Helga Schmidt, who canceled this morning. She has some urgent business to attend to and just told us this morning. But Angelina, you're very welcome and happy to have you here. Uh, Mr. Dietmir Bushati, Minister of Foreign Affairs from Albania. Welcome. Uh, Goran Silvanovic, Secretary General of the Regional Cooperation Council. Thank you, Goran, for being here and being such a good partner for us. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Stefan Fuller, who is, was the European Commissioner for Enlargement, is now Special en Envoy for the OSCE and Western Balkans at the Czech Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Gordon Duguid, Senior Advisor for South Central Europe at the U.S. State Department. We're really anxious to hear what you have to tell us as well, Gordon, what's happening on the other side of the Atlantic. And last but not least, Tanya Misecevic, Chief Negotiator for Serbia's accession to the European Union. Right, so we're going to kick off, kick off with a question to Stefan. Stefan, I said that all of these changes that are happening across the world and in the Western Balkans are going to have an impact on how the membership negotiations are conducted. Let's have your point of view on what are the priorities and what should be happening in the next few months. Um, my panelists have agreed that no longer than five minutes for the first, uh, for the first uh, comment, and I am a severe and very intrusive moderator. So, Stefan, you've been warned. And the clock is ticking. Very good morning. <laughs> uh, the enlargement process is not compatible with uh, unpredictability. So we need to inject uh, uh, a bit of political steering to adjust here. Uh, the enlargement is not on autopilot. There is a more responsibility uh, uh, given to the member state, uh, uh, which uh, I am not seeing it's being sort of fully appreciated by the uh, member states. Um, and uh, we have introduced the element of political engineering. Uh, um, and it's prob probably related to the first question, so, uh, realistic uh, uh, and honest uh, timetable. I'm afraid it's not that easy. I think we need to find uh, a, a middle ground uh, between uh, providing the countries with a hope uh, which cannot be linked to a one concrete date and at the same time uh, uh, to have the process and the progress uh, uh, being judged uh, on the basis of, of, of the merit of uh, each and every country uh, level of, uh, of, of preparedness. Uh, the second point is uh, to understand that the enlargement has become much more complex. Uh, uh, we have taken very seriously our lessons learned. Uh, uh, so uh, one uh, has to take into account that current aspirant countries and candidate countries have much bigger tasks uh, uh, ahead of them. And that's why it's so important uh, uh, to intensify the engagement. Uh, that's why the number of the member states calling for some kind of bridging period uh, now that the next reporting uh, will, will take place in 18 months. Uh, that takes me to the third remark. Uh, 
I think the member states basically are delivering on the commitments. Whenever there is a progress on the side of the candidate aspirant countries, uh, the, the, the decision is there, but the reluctance is growing, uh, uh, and uh, you could touch it uh, uh, physically. Um, <clears throat> And there is one more uh, tendency which I uh, feel uh, is, is very dangerous. And it is before, whenever there was a problem between member states uh, uh, and a candidate country, it was for that member states alone uh, sort of uh, being uh, the target uh, uh, of uh, 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 the constructive criticism from other member states for not allowing the process to go ahead. That has changed. Uh, you don't have just one single member state uh, uh, to uh, uh, influence uh, or block the process. You have the groupings. You're, you're, we're seeing the solidarity in the way among the member states we have not seen uh, uh, before. Um, let me sort of now describe the situation in the Western Balkans uh, as far as I uh, uh, see it. Uh, and if you look at it uh, very open and frankly, the pro-EU forces uh, are losing ground uh, in the enlargement country. The rise of nationalism and extremism is in, to a certain extent reversing the process of the reconciliation, um, uh, normalization of bilateral relations, uh, and as far as weakening the strengths of the democratic institutions uh, in, the, in the region. And under these circumstances, uh, the security aspects of enlargement uh, have never been more important. The security aspect, this is not necessarily what the Commission uh, has in its mandate. This is what the External Action Service is doing, and I'm very happy that Angelina is with us because the External Action Service uh, understand that this is the issue where it needs to collaborate more intensively with, uh, uh, with the Commission. But if we say, A, that this is a security uh, uh, dimension, what is the B? Uh, the B is, uh, uh, first of all, to look at the dialogue between Bergat and Pristina in such a way that the normalization and the enlargement process uh, 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 intersect uh, at a certain point for both countries to become a part of the uh, European Union. And this interaction between the External Action Service and the Commission uh, on, on this file needs to sort of be replicated also in other countries. Second, each and every uh, Western Balkan country needs uh, sort of its kind of list of ideas to be supported to address the number of economic, social, and other uh, uh, challenges. The third element is probably the most important. Uh, uh, we have a growing uh, uh, package uh, of the problems between the member states uh, and candidate and aspirant countries. We need to start to build the capacity of the EU institutions and the member states to address uh, this uh, uh, issue. Uh, and the regional cooperation, and I'm about to end, uh, is another issue. Uh, uh, which is extremely important, uh, and I'm not only talking about the Western Balkan Six uh, itself, I'm talking about the Berlin process, I'm talking about the V4 Western Balkan Six cooperation, I'm talking about the ground which has not been used fully to replicate the Berlin process uh, uh, for other member states or the group of member states. Uh, to conclude, it is the 
increased political engagement, A, and B, it is uh, strengthening the regional cooperation, which could, to certain extent, uh, uh, balance or substitute for the uh, lack of the enthusiasm for the enlargement process, uh, as I have witnessed, uh, the most important uh, is political engagement, uh, the commitment uh, needs to come from both sides, from the member states and the, and the candidate uh, and aspirant countries. Right, so Stefan, so the hope that you, uh, you emphasize, that hope is needed for internal changes in the region as well, because the driving force is really this goal of uh, membership of the EU. Uh, would you agree that that hope is given, but then perhaps undermined by the realities uh, of what really happens? Actually, uh, this is one of the most important uh, elements when you have the enlargement process, which per se does not necessarily bring the results of some uh, difficult reform process uh, uh, immediately. It's a sort of uh, uh, long-term process. Uh, the most difficult task when I was in the Commission was, uh, you know, how to make this attractive, uh, uh, not only the end game, the membership, but the road itself. And that's why we sort of focus on the track record. Uh, we wanted to see the legislation, the institutions delivering on the people, citizens' uh, uh, expectations. This is one part of this process. The second part uh, uh, of, of providing the people of the hope is indeed, you know, making sure that whenever you are ready, we are ready. So any kind of political engineering, you know, not within this commission, uh, uh, or there is a concrete date uh, which we promise, but if by that time, you know, uh, we do not deliver, you know, these kind of things uh, 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 matter. It is through the high-level mm. political engagement, treating those countries not only as a subject of enlargement policies, but as an object of our external and internal policies. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that the External Action Service is more and more aware of this challenge. Right, I'm going to actually turn to the External Action Service and uh, ask uh, Ang Angelina for her opinion on how she sees, how do you see, Angelina, the process uh, going on, what's happening, what, it's, it's on actually, just have to start talking into it. So what in your uh, opinion are the main sort of good points in this process and where do you see some of the problems emerging? Thank you. First, good morning to everybody, and I'm really glad to be among the friends of. When we are friends of in the audience, it means that normally we uh, agree on most of the issues. So let's see where we, where we disagree and where we can actually take, some, take back homes to the external action service or the commission or to the region or particularly to the member states. I agree with everything that Stefan said, um, and it is very true that the prism of enlargement uh, is, is one but there is the geography, which is a fact. Western Balkans is Europe. Europe is Western Balkans. There is no doubt about it. And, and second, that the work that actually needs to be done is, is I don't want to say beyond enlargement, but there is that very, very deep sense of uh, having joint interest, sharing uh, joint challenges and working together on meeting them. This is, of course, the language you find in the global strategy that was presented by the High Representative just after the Brexit. I really recommend you to read it. 
Uh, this is actually for once a document that is really interesting to read, but it's also really good to work with. It's a great tool for all of us to get focused on where we want to be together. Uh, I don't want to bring the word togetherness, but I think it is an important word because this is basically the work we are doing constantly with the Western Balkans at this point in time. Security challenges, big, big time, but also really making sure that today, don't forget we have six leaders in the region and the leadership around them who clearly tell us on a daily basis, hey guys, we are part of you. And that is quite unique. There is also the, the majority of the citizens who keep on telling us, EU, we are part of you guys. So, and, and this is the message we, we built on, we work with. We cannot give a predicted timetable, but as Stefan said, when the work is done, we are ready. And that isn't, in fact, the trick. It's the work that has to be done. I mean, at the, in the EAS, at the Commission, we never stop working on a daily basis on all the questions that need to be addressed. Many don't realize that what it really means to go into the nitty-gritty nitty of a key and of enlargement. I don't need to tell you here, but it is quite a vast amount of work that needs to happen. And we've been doing that. I mean, we forget the good examples of this year, the good examples of Bosnia-Herzegovina, the good example also of Albania, and I'm sure the minister will talk about the reform process in there. Serbia now, open chapters, is going to open chapters further. We had the first stabilization association council with Kosovo. Now elections in Fyrum, 11th of December, hopefully credible elections with results, the, the new government can work with and the people can actually see the results of what we are doing together, EU uh, and Skopje. And then there is basically the whole, the whole let's say, um, um, activity around what we are doing together on, as I said, on security. Uh, and that is really where we are focusing on for, not just for now, but for the years to come. So what I want to say is the work doesn't stop. It's there, we are ready. We are looking at it from, from a different angle. We're preparing, we help preparing each and every partner, each and every country to get as close as possible to be ready. Maybe this commission will indeed not have a new member from the region coming into the EU, but at least we will be able to say, look, we have done the work together. Right, Angeli today, um, thank you very much for that. Uh, there was the enlargement package that was revealed uh, in uh, November, 9th of November. And of course, we'll have Commissioner Hahn coming in, uh, in, in later to have a conversation with my colleague Giles Merritt. But I just wanted to ask you from the External Action Services perspective, where do you see the main sort of problems? I mean, Commissioner Hahn has talked about the rule of law, fundamental rights, corruption, media freedoms, etc. From your perspective, where do you see the sort of two or three main uh, areas where uh, urgent action is needed? First of all, a lot boils down to rule of law and justice. Uh, and I really want to commend the work that's being done in Tirana. Uh, it's, it's groundbreaking. Uh, there's a lot going to happen there that will basically renew the whole system. Uh, and frankly, that is, that is in fact, the work that should be done in each and every country, but the minister will talk about it, I'm sure. Uh, there is the whole part where I'm, where I'm basically most, when I mentioned citizens, 
young generation before, we are all young, I always say that, but you know, the whole generation of people who want so much to be close to the EU, there is so much work on people connections that need to be done. Uh, and we, are, we don't do enough of the exchanges mm -hmm. at all levels between European Union member states and partners, partners in the region. And that is the connectivity part, which is part of this, this, uh, this debate this morning. Um, infrastructural connectivity is key. I mean, uh, frankly, if you don't have the roads, if you don't have the infrastructure, the highways, etc., to really make sure that it is easy to move around and to interconnect physically. I mean, we do everything on social media together, but there's nothing that can compare the actual physical exchanges of, uh, of people, the debates, the discussions. Mm. Uh, I see it with the dialogue, uh, Belgrade, Pristina. We always bring people together physically to work and to work things out. So I would say rule of law uh, around it also that gives the the basis for good economic investments, the connectivity at all levels, and people-to-people -people contacts. Right, thank you very much. I, I was wondering if I could actually turn to you, Minister Bashati, to give, uh, you've, he you've heard what Angelina and Stefan have said about the process and how complicated it can be. What, what are your aspirations uh, at this stage of your uh, discussions with the EU? Thank you very much, and my uh, congratulations for having this room full once again. It's my third time. Once I've been with uh, Stefan here three years ago and then last year I was with uh, Goran and I'm happy to see that there are still friends of Europe in these uh, difficult moments we are all uh, facing. Um, I would like to uh, briefly touch upon three, three issues. First, uh, in relation to the EU accession and to the process. Uh, Stefan was speaking about the uh, political nature of, of this process where we have seen member states uh, being more active and bringing also in some cases their own issues into the enlargement agenda which has not been the case um, in the past. And we were learned to speak about the credibility, conditionality and also about the consistency of the enlargement package but in the recent years I think we discovered also the creativity of European Commission as, as a feature of the enlargement process. And it was due to this creativity uh, that uh, some countries in the Western Balkans achieved progress in the, in, in the past. Uh, in one of uh, these cases, goes without saying it's Albania, we have been granted uh, candidate status in 2014 and the last enlargement package European Commission came with the recommendation on opening accession talks subject to credible implementation of the uh, vetting law that is part of the uh, justice reform. The fact that European Commission was singling out uh, uh, vetting law in the, case, in the case of Albania shows the importance of the justice reform the unprecedented engagement of uh, uh, European Commission services, uh, US government in this uh, reform process where we expect within two or three years to complete the, the, the whole vetting process for judges at various courts starting with the a constitutional court and high court and appeals court and then courts of first instance, but also of the, of the, of the prosecutors. Because there is a fact that we cannot we cannot uh, shy away that uh, justice institutions in my country unfortunately are, are perceived as, as, as corrupted institutions and there is a credibility gap that uh, we need to bridge also with, these, uh, with this reform. But uh, discussing a bit about uh, uh, EU accession process, one 
also should not neglect the fact that although we see member states bringing to the enlargement table also bilateral, uh, bilateral issues, the political soul of the enlargement process is not anymore there. So uh, we listen uh, discussions about enlargement break and in fact no one will be ready to join uh, European Union in a foreseeable future from Western Balkan countries. Then uh, nowadays we see that European Commission is going to, to, to publish the next enlargement package in 2008, in the spring 2008, and this brings us 18. back, 18, sorry, and this brings us back uh, uh, before Thessaloniki agenda. I remember very well that uh, before Thessaloniki, non-candidate countries uh, were receiving their progress reports during springtime and candidate countries during the, uh, during the autumn. And I hope this is not a political message also for, for, for the Western Balkans. And we are also discussing about the need for an interaction as a part of this creativity agenda uh, between member states on one hand and European Commission and, and, and aspiring, aspiring country. And we are discussing also about bridging mechanisms where there is a progress on the ground, European Commission can come up and report to, to, to member states. So it is important to avoid vacuums in, in, in the Western Balkans, especially nowadays that we see the so-called third actors being more assertive in our, in our, in our neighborhood. Uh, you mentioned the elections in, in Macedonia, but let's not forget that the last two years we have seen statements, more statements coming from Russian foreign ministry on developments in Macedonia than statements coming from external service or state department. We have uh, had a bitter experience with the elections in, 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 in Montenegro where there were accusations for the interference and in influence of, of, of third actors. But you know that there are also other actors, GCC countries, China with 16 plus 1 initiative, Turkey, they are all having a stake in, in the internal developments in, in, in the Balkans and EU should see also enlargement process through this political, uh, political uh, prism that Angelina was, was, was highlighting. The second issue is security. And let's not forget, Western Balkans proved uh, to be security providers for, for the whole European security architecture. And I can give you two examples. The way how Serbia and, and, and Macedonia handled the uh, refugee crisis uh, was, I, 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 I believe, uh, a good lesson, a good European lesson also for few EU member states. They stick faithful to European values. And the second, the way how we have been working with religious leaders, how we have improved and tightened up our uh, legislation and institutional setup in the fight against terrorism and in the, in the, in the fight against violent extremism. Uh, this proved to have also uh, a, a positive development for the whole security architecture of, of Europe, which tells me that the closer we get, the safer European Union is, and which tells me that the enlargement process should be seen as a win-win process, not as something that uh, uh, we're only expecting something from, from European Union. On security, we have to speak more also about alignment, and alignment with foreign policy positions of, uh, of, of EU. And my country, it's, it's a good example, together with, with Montenegro. Um, there is a consistency of full alignment with uh, European, European uh, uh, foreign policy position, which is, not, which is not unfortunately the case for all uh, Western Balkan countries. And 
we should not give the impression that uh, there are countries that are allowed to, to, to play this CISO politics, mm -hmm. so to, to sit on two chairs at the same time. So if we speak about European values and if we speak about, uh, uh, about commitments, this should be one of, of the criteria uh, that could measure also the progress of Western Balkan countries in their path towards European Union. And the last point on regional cooperation. I remember when we agreed in Vienna on this uh, connectivity pact, I, 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 I've said something similar that uh, 10 years, 15 years ago, in the Balkans we had this stability pact, which ended the war in, 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 and the inter-ethnic wars and conflicts in, in the Balkans. In Vienna, we agreed on a connectivity pact, so we know how this region would look like by 2020, 2030, and now it's time to think and work for this uh, democracy and development pact. We need to bridge bit by bit differences that are existing between Western Balkans and the rest of the countries that joined European Union in 2004 and 2007. And we can do this uh, through this connectivity pact and we can do this through uh, regional, regional, regional cooperations. And we are still looking for uh, groundbreaking ceremonies and the Berlin process, Berlin process is helping us to streamline these, uh, these, these, uh, these cooperation that is existing at regional level. Let's not forget two years ago it was quite impossible to have the same spirit um, in the region in terms of cooperating for uh, flagship infrastructure projects that we, are, that we are seeing nowadays. So we need, to, we need to use this momentum also in light of the new budgetary cycle that will, uh, that will be discussed uh, um, within, within European Union for the next seven years. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Minister, very much. So uh, we've heard three of our panelists, and I think already sort of got right into the core of the discussion. And before I turn to our other panelists, I'm going to give you guys a chance to perhaps ask a, a burning question that's on your mind that you'd ask, like to ask uh, the three uh, people who have already spoken so far. So I'm happy to take a question uh, or two from you at this point. If there's anyone who wants to do so, please just put up your hand and I will give you the floor for a tiny bit of time. If not, I will pursue relentlessly this questioning of the panelists. Okay. Right, so you'll all want to wait till the end, which is very, very fair and very good. Okay, so let me now turn, uh, turn to uh, you, Tanya, to see uh, a little bit about where you are in terms of your uh, thinking about chap opening chapters, closing chapters, the new ones, the old ones, how, how are things proceeding from your point of view? Uh, yes, first, thanks for inviting me. This is also not my first time here for many years following the work of the Friends of Europe being very dedicated to the enlargement process and the Western Balkans as such. Uh, and always grateful to share with you some of the ideas. And as all others, I will have three points uh, in terms of putting uh, the emphasis on very important things. First, I will start with your slides. Um, interesting, and that is always very instructive to hear what the young people think about us, because we have to have it in mind. This is the public opinion exactly. of the member states. 
uh, it's interesting to see that uh, although some of them uh, uh, find that there is no alternative for us, others think that actually it's a reverse process. It's possible for us to say no. But let me give you the uh, general attitude in my country, in Serbia. Uh, people do see European Union much more as the instrument of change than only a goal. Which is something that the European Union or the European communities wanted for decades of the enlargement policy. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that type of um, instrument, of EU being instrument, gives us the opportunity to work on some novelties which are introduced in the enlargement process during Mr. Fuller's time, um, uh, fundamentals first. Uh, but also the new approach to the negotiation process. And let me remind you, for us, uh, for the first time, introduction of Chapter 35, which is a unique type of uh, negotiating chapters, uh, check and balance, not only rule of law, but also in terms of the normalization of talks between Belgrade and uh, uh, Pristina, which we, of course, understood very uh, and extremely well. So this is one of the very important messages coming from at least one country of the Western Balkans, and I know that the situation is almost the, sta the same in, in the region, because I will agree that the, uh, the beauty is actually in the process, and we should not wait until the very end of the process mm -hmm. to see the results, because the real results, like visa liberalization for the countries of the Western Balkans, will not be provided uh, in uh, uh, near future, and that is mm -hmm. uh, that is so apparent. Yes, we up to now open the uh, open four chapters, including uh, all three control chapters, 23, 24, as well as chapter 35. But also, first one that we opened was actually financial control chapter, which is also important for you to know uh, that we managed to explain that the reforms are actually the most important mm -hmm. thing. We are waiting uh, until the end of the year also to open uh, some chapters and uh, my hope to close uh, some of them. But the next years will be extremely challenging because 2017 is not going to be only the year of elections in the region but also outside the region in wider Europe. And let me remind you again the story about the um, uh, starting discussing uh, on something which will be a novelty for the European Union and that is uh, Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, reverse enlargement, the story of the relationship with the uh, UK and the European Union. But let me finish with something that I really think it's, uh, at least my reading of the development is completely different than Mr. Fule's and slightly um, different than uh, Minister Bushatidir Dittmer. Um, I don't think that the Western Balkan is our only story about security. I really think that we are here to remind European Union why the very idea of the European integration exists. That, uh, mere, uh, that the peace, solidarity and stability is necessary for the development. That one reason. And second is much more functional one. Actually, I am very much assured that there is no development in some of the European policy, public European policies, without the Western Balkan. Mm -hmm. One might be common foreign security policy, which is, by the way, 
far beyond only harmonizing with the foreign policy uh, declaration. It's also participation in EU-led mission. My mm -hmm. country participates in each and every uh, of the uh, missions following the um, priorities of the global strategy recently adopted, um, um, non-proliferation of the ma uh, weapons of mass destruction, all that is the common foreign and security policy, but even going beyond that. Um, Schengen system mm -hmm. cannot function without the Western Balkan countries. But also, energy union cannot be completed without Western Balkan countries. Transport community or transport infrastructure in terms of the 10 um, uh, trans-European networks um, in uh, general Europe cannot function without something which is undoubtedly, as Angelina said, part of the Europe mm -hmm. Uh, as the continent, and uh, that brings me to the completely different position than generally um, uh, argument that we are using. We are not part of the problem, but part of the solution for European problems. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. So in the, in, when you say you, know, you shouldn't wait till the end of the process and you've highlighted visa liberalization, is there any, uh, any other area where you think it's low-hanging fruits are available that can be plucked right now? I can count you numerous, but the most striking one is actually the most difficult one, which is the, uh, the environmental protection. So actually, although this is highly technical, it's not political at all chapter, but we neglect that the implementation mm -hmm. and the results and the um, advantages of negotiating and going deeper into the discussion of uh, clean water, fresh air, which is uh, uh, clear from the CEO to uh, many other issues, will actually be seen by the citizens. Right. So the connections start, if you like. Yeah. And uh, one important thing that we did not touch upon, but I'm sure that we are going to discuss, is the, how to communicate all that to the public. Right. Very important question, yes. Goran, I... I uh, want you to come in now. I wanted you to listen to what our friends uh, are saying from uh, uh, Albania and Serbia. Uh, you've said in the past that, you know, times are uh, exceptional. It's no time to have business as usual. But it seems very much that business as usual seems to be the order of the day. I mean, is that making you very frustrated, slightly frustrated? Very frustrated as... Frankly, I do think that uh, business as usual is the only policy which will for surely not work. Reason being what we've recently seen. And this is huge economic financial crisis and how it influenced both the EU and the wider Europe, meaning us. Second, migration, mm -hmm. and I may continue with the links uh, with the terrorism, and how it reflected in the hearts of the people, the citizens of the EU. Then the Brexit, and then from my tiny Serbia or my tiny Sarajevo, the Dutch no to Ukrainian SEA is a huge bell ringing in my head. Hmm. A huge one. It's completely revealing what might be coming. Therefore, I would come back to what I've said. Business as usual is the only policy which will not work. And I do have concrete suggestions that I'm willing to share with you. First, I would kindly turn towards the Commission. Sorry, Stefan, you've been there. You're not there, I know, but the Commissioner will come and the Council and would suggest a bold 
start negotiations immediately with the six, as I joined Tanya in what she has said. It is, the accession negotiations are the reform process for the countries. Focus on rule of law, I fully support this. Focus on fight against corruption. Focus on the media freedom, but also on everything else which is part of the acquis. It is a reform process, so my bold invitation would be to start negotiating. I'm not saying when to complete the process, make it substantial, keep us busy, help us be successful. Second, if not that, then at least do the pre-screening for all six on chapters 23, 24. At least that could be achievable decision in the council. That's towards the commission. Then I'm turning to you, Angelica, sorry. I would expect EIS to engage in bilateral disputes which engage EU and non-EU countries. It is becoming a huge issue. We cannot turn our eyes. It is becoming, we are already witnessing stop and go process. We are witnessing the tensions among the countries. So I'm kindly appealing. This is what I mean when I say business as usual is no policy. So start negotiations or at least do the pre-screening 23-24. Please engage. As far as the RCC is concerned, we'd be willing and happy to engage when it comes to the bilateral dispute between the non-EUs, meaning the accession countries. Maybe we can help there. But they are the equals. It is resolvable. This may be more difficult in the years to come than it was so far. And even so far, we've seen how difficult it was. What else I have in mind is we in the RCC are reflecting on these developments, and we have already completely remodeled, thanks to the support of the foreign ministers from the region, our engagement. So now, in one minute, I'll explain what we are doing, and then you will, uh, you will understand we have completely different reading of what the accession process in future is. Since we see that the road to Tipperary seems to be a very long one, <laughs> we are trying to use the time, which is one of the resources now we have to have, and engage in the following flagship initiatives. One is we are trying to create single investment area out of the six accession economies. We are trying to create the single information space, no media necessarily, what I refer at is ICT interoperability, roaming, and uh, broadband infrastructure for the region. So we try to intensify cooperation among the six on their way towards the EU, and then we also are working towards a single labor market with the negotiations on automatic recognition of diplomas. So you may call it a custom union. You may call it, as, as Commissioner uh, Hahn is calling, single market out of the six. But we are engaged. And this is what we're going to do. And this is what we actually think about the new realities coming in the accession process tomorrow, in two years from now, in five years from now. But it is for sure going to be a very different one from what we've seen years back. Thank you. Mm. Goran, you said also, I mean, in the discussion we had privately that um, public opinion in the Western Balkans had, you said, um, had stopped believing. Yeah, exactly. I will go back to what you've displayed to us. A Croatian guy, I fully agree with him, Hrvoje, saying the nationalism is growing. And the Greek guy, Ioannis, if I'm not wrong, I fully agree with him, what he was saying, guys, People are already turning their heads left and right and are learning that the Europe is wider than the EU. These are realities. I mean, you can have on our website of the Regional Cooperation Council and check in three out of six succession economies, 
while ask, when do you think what your country will be in the EU? One third is saying, never. That is not necessarily worrisome, that people are skeptical. What is worrisome, being at least a former politician, I learned what is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Hmm. What if this one third start engaging to prove that they were right? They will do everything it takes to prove, meaning they already hate the idea. They're not necessarily non-believers, they're haters. That's why I'm saying the guy from Greece was very much right in what he was saying. Mm -hmm. So it is worrisome. And this is a result of the longevity of the process mm -hmm. and the bureaucracy of the process mm -hmm. with a scarce result, particularly in the areas where people care. The GDP, employment, corruption. That's, they fear that there is no change. Mm. This is why I'll go back to the accession process and actually join the very idea Tanya has shared with us. Use the resource, another one that thanks to the EU citizens is available for us, and this is the uh, IPA, pre-accession funds. Use the process and dynamics of the process to reform the country. You may not like the idea that we join the EU, but you have to like the idea that we use the resources to reform judiciary. Support me there. That would be my message. Support me to do it, to use the process, to use the resources, and then we'll see about the EU. We don't know. We learn not to know. After the Dutch no to the SCA for Ukraine, we learn not to know what the future is bringing to us. And you were rightly mentioning elections. We're going to see elections in France. We're going to see elections in uh, Germany. Germany. Uh, we were only very happy to see recent results of elections in Austria. It's a good news. But look, mm. citizens of the EU do not see us as like it. And that's our problem. It's not their problem. Mm -hmm. It is our problem. We need to improve in every respect to prove that we are culturally European, that we are economically there, that we are socially there. Unfortunately, this is not how they see us. Mm. We need to work and to use the process to show that we are there in order then to win the hearts of the mm. citizens of the EU who will then vote for the politicians in the EU who will then be supportive for accession. This is not the situation at this point in time in mm. majority of the EU member states. Mm. Thank you, Goran, as always, for being very convincing and uh, I have to say passionate about what you say, and I think very convincing, as, as I said. Thank you very much. Gordon, you've been listening, uh, I hope, uh, with interest to what we've been talking about. Um, also, I mean, it's very important that the United States stays involved and, and you know, encourages, promotes, incentivizes this process of uh, membership for the Western Balkans. Uh, do you see the strategy or the policies changing under uh, President Trump? Well, you know, the, um, the president-elect's transition team um, is already in place in the State Department for individuals, three of whom I'm acquainted with, and all three are, that I know are long-term professionals who have served in previous administrations. They have the right credentials and the right experience, and so far as I've seen, they're asking the right questions. You know, the U.S. foreign policy globally has been very consistent for decades. And in terms of Europe, 
it has been certainly very consistent in working for a Europe whole free and at peace at least since 1941, both Democrat and Republican administrations. I see no change coming to that policy. The transition team uh, in the State Department gives me indication that there is not going to be any great changes. There will be uh, certain matters that, that might come in different discussions or different fora. But you also have to remember that our relationship is not only between governments, mm -hmm. but certainly in the U.S. we have a situation where we have other branches of government that have just as much to say about aspects of foreign policy. In the Congress, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee is led by Senator Corker, currently under discussion as possible Secretary of State, um, a long-term uh, internationalist. And in the House, you also have a Republican-led um, House Foreign Affairs Committee that has been uh, involved in the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, policy over the last 16 or so years. So there is consistency already built into the system. But as I was saying, our ties are much more than governments. The ties between businesses, the ties between people, the ties between institutions are so strong between the U.S. and Europe. I do not see us reversing all of those myriad ties um, in the coming ad administration. Now, I am here representing the Obama administration, of course. He has uh, several weeks left to run. And our policy, particularly towards the EU and uh, the, the Western Balkans, is also, I, I believe, very strong and worth pursuing. For the Western Balkans, we do see security as a, an issue. Uh, terrorism is one concern, but certainly not the greatest. The um, good news is that all of the Western Balkan countries wish to be members of the EU. We already see them as part of the EU process. It's just a question of standards. When the standards are met, the playing field will be level and the countries will be members. That is a process. It's not a decision. Decisions already made. As far as NATO goes, I can uh, think you may know that yesterday the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee voted Montenegro's uh, bid uh, uh, out of committee. It should go to the floor next week. That will mean that all of the Western Balkan countries who wish to be in NATO are either on the way or there. For Serbia, which does not wish to be there, they're already doing 120 different exercises with NATO and the U.S. in this past 12 months. So I would say that's fairly close. What we will focus on that will help with the EU process are the problems that we see are most glaring. They are corruption, a weak judiciary, media freedom, and the uh, responsibility of institutions to the population, which is weak in all those countries. We will continue to work on those. I see my time is coming. I've got one thing I'd like to leave you with. I'm an optimist for the Western Balkans because I met a young man named Mihailo Delic, a basketball player from Serbia, played in the U.S., played all around the world, had the chance after his basketball career to live in the West or in the U.S. very comfortably, chose to return to Serbia, 
started a basketball camp 10 years ago for children, boys and girls, from all over uh, the former Yugoslavia space. The oldest of those are now a network throughout the Western Balkans. They are in touch. They are in responsible positions. They are working together to make life better for each and every one of their countries and the region. And he's doing it without any government help, except for ours. Mm. <laughs> and uh, he's probably not alone either. There are many, many individuals like that, and we'll talk about them throughout the day. Um, happy now to take questions and comments from, from the floor. If you could identify yourself, put up your hand, and if there's a question to anyone specific, please say so, uh, and please try and keep it short so we have an interactive discussion. So I already have a gentleman over there. Uh, Nina, this, this gentleman, yes. Uh, hi, uh, Rudy Kleinschek, University of Maribor, Slovenia. Um, what was said on the slides, uh, people being skeptical, maybe even fatalistic. Uh, um, so there's a growing pessimism, let's say, like that, that translates into rise of nationalism, populism, and so on. So basically, I would like to ask all of the panelists the question, why, in their opinion, is this happening? Mm -hmm. Because we, we heard a lot of things, but I really would like to hear, and I would uh, uh, like to uh, uh, <laughs> repeat what was said uh, by Mr. Goran, that business as usual is not acceptable anymore. So then what is? Right. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Very pertinent question indeed. Uh, yes? I have the light right in my eyes, so if I don't see you immediately, please do forgive me. But, Jen, lady over there, yes. Sneška Kvaldek Mihailovic, Europa Nostra, the voice of cultural heritage in Europe. I'm originally from the Western Balkans, so I'm glad to be here. Um, indeed, business in usual is absolutely not an option. And um, I was glad to hear uh, Stefan Fühle saying we need to give some hope to the Western Balkans. I think also we need to give them... Um, the uh, opportunity to regain a sense of pride, a sense of confidence. Um, the path, the process is a very hard one, it's hard work, then you have to have a feeling that you are treated with respect. And my question is, because I come from the cultural world, uh, 2018 will be a European year of cultural heritage. Uh, the strategy of cultural diplomacy in external relations of the European Union was recently adopted. Is it not high time that the cultural potential uh, of the Western Balkans is put much higher on the priority. And I think, uh, indeed, uh, uh, this region is culturally, historically part of Europe, and this should be much, much more used. Somebody said we need to regain the hearts of the citizens of EU member states not to see these countries as an alien body. And I think we are really having a wonderful golden mine that we are not using, and I would like to see, is there hope that it can be put up higher on the agenda. Thank mm. you. Thank you very much indeed. Ex excellent question for our, our, for our panelists. I'm happy to take one more question. Yes, the lady there. Please just put your hand higher up. Yes. And, and, and a lady over there. Yeah. And a gentleman over here. Then you'll have to, all three of you, be quite brief, please. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Uh, Verena Knaus, UNICEF here in Brussels. Just a quick question to the panelists more broadly. There was a lot of mention of credibility gap, time, bridging, restoring what uh, Ms. Minister Boschati said, the soul, the political soul of the European enlargement process. So my question really is to what extent are we figuring in also ways of mobilizing, engaging and empowering the young generation? in the region. So connectivity packed, to what extent do we actually think about pan-Balkan initiatives to really create a right. public audience of young people using digital media, digital tools, because at the moment it's a very abstract enlargement process. And for many young people in the, in the region, they don't feel, they don't see, they don't smell, they don't know anymore what it's right. about, and they are shaping also the political public agenda opinion. because yeah. they will turn out on the streets or to vote. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. A uh, lady over there and then the gentleman over here. Yes, Eris so. uh, ABC News and Clan TV question to Mr. Fule. Uh, Mr. Fule, how credible the European Commission can be, I'm here, how credible the European Commission can be to member states when recommending the opening of accession negotiations with a country like Albania, for instance, uh, subject to one condition like the implementation of justice reform when the member states consider that there are more than five criteria to be fulfilled and you can really see that in the conclusions, draft conclusions of Coreper who uh, gathered today in, the, in Brussels. Thank you. Thank you very much and there was a hand that went up here. Thank you. Uh, Dragan Tilev, State Councillor from the Secretariat for European Affairs in Macedonia. Uh, short uh, direct questions, uh, one to ex-commissioner Mr. Fule. Uh, Mr. Fule, you have been one of the most vocal commissioners uh, in the past talking about the bilateral disputes between the countries, members of the EU and non-members of the EU. I'm referring particularly to my country and you have been the commissioner that in 2012 has launched a new idea about how to get Macedonia on board uh, with the dual truck uh, 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 negotiations uh, proposal method, uh, negotiating the name issue in parallel with the, uh, with the accession, opening of accession negotiations uh, with Macedonia. Uh, but it failed, unfortunately. It has vanished almost uh, over all these years. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, what is your opinion from this time distance? Uh, what failed, why it failed, and what should have been done differently. Uh, that's one uh, part of the question. The second part of the question is, if you are in a position, I think that you are in a position to suggest or to advise uh, uh, the, the current commissioner, Han, what you would suggest, if you can share that openly to, uh, with us uh, uh, here, the audience. Uh, then to Mr. Svilanovic, uh, you have been talking, and I entirely agree what, which, which, uh, what you said, about need to open accession negotiations with all the countries, different methods, different approach, different uh, dynamics, but it's important, it's essential to open negotiations with all the uh, countries, uh, six countries from, uh, from the region. Some are already in the process, but so, yeah. the rest needs to catch up, to be given a chance. But since we are talking about this could, for many years now. Could you just be very brief yeah, now? Uh, uh, specifically what you would suggest, how to do that, yeah. how to materialize your, your suggestion. And to the lady from the EAS, because Mr. Goran Svilanovic has suggested whether and in which way EAS can be involved in the uh, solutions for the dispute between EU member states and non-EU member states. Your view on that. 
Thank you very right, much. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to ask the panelists to choose, select the questions, not to try and answer each one of them. And I would like to say to all of you also, we're on Twitter as well. I think the Twitter handle is in, in the pack, um, Balkan Summit. So do keep your comments coming on Twitter as well. Um, I think that would be very useful for all of us. So let's start with you, Tanya. <laughs> Okay, although I would love to say a few words on each and every of those well, subjects. Well, if they're, if they're quick, yes. Yeah, oh, very, very quick. Um, I could not agree more that issues like cultural diplomacy is extremely important for the, uh, for the countries which are extremely proud on the cultural diversity, not only among the states, but inside the states. Uh, and that is something that we can prove to be one of the strengths of the countries of the region. We are extremely proud that we are going to be, I mean, Novi Sad, the uh, town in uh, Serbia, is going to be a cultural um, uh, capital of Europe in 2020, first time outside the member states of the European Union. That's at least something that we can grasp and we can start discussing, uh, discussing further. <laughs> Second issue, young generation, extremely important. As we all notice, we discussed even before the panel, uh, young generation in the um, in the region is extremely reluctant at least let's call it like this towards the european union but on the other hand this is the strength of the uh, european process the one thing is uh, to work together as in Berlin process, there is an idea to establish a, an office which is going to be functional very soon uh, in Tirana, and we should own the process. Actually, we should see that as an element for the improvement. I think um, my uh, first job is actually university professor, and I'm extremely proud not only on the exchange of students, but on the joint research projects, which is something that we can and have to discuss uh, in depth in future. I really think this is the most uh, uh, important. I'm sure that Mr. Fuller will remember that once when we start with the screening exercise on the chapters 23 and 24, we suggested that it might be open also for other Western Balkan countries as the screening exercise for those chapters for uh, uh, Montenegro, if I'm not wrong, Dragan, uh, was also open for uh, Macedonia and Serbia. And it proved to be very efficient start uh, of the idea. I would go even further, not only pre-screening, but also preparation of the action plan for 23 and 24 should start regardless of the negotiation talks. Uh, at least for Albania, that, that was something that uh, um, I'm strongly advoca uh, advocating. Once when you have the action plan on chapters 23 and 24, there is the uh, not only internal but also external obligation. It's not going to be easy, be easy to to implement it as it's not easy in Serbia, but there is a check and balance inside the society also to influence that. Mm. Thank you, Tanya, also for being very brief and to the point. Appreciate it. Uh, Minister Bushati, please. First, whether European Commission and EU member states can handle this process through business as usual. I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit skeptical if I refer to the political soul, but also to the programs that are, that are available. And if we could make a difference between what currently Western Balkan countries are getting and what uh, 
the uh, Visegrad countries, but also others that joined in 2004 and 2007, there is a one to four difference, which shows that the gap mm -hmm. between us and those that joined in 2004, it's not, it's not bridging. Secondly, uh, we spoke about the beauty of the process, and Tanya said it's an instrument of change rather than the goal, rather than the goal mm -hmm. per se. Mm -hmm. And people need to have a clear perspective. What makes different nowadays Western Balkans from other hotspots of the world that we are, that we are, we are seeing is the question of perspective. Mm -hmm. Although the figures that uh, Goran shared with us in, in the region a few, few, few weeks ago are a little bit, are a little bit uh, worrisome on what people think about uh, European integration process. And I, I try to explain those figures a little bit differently, that nowadays you don't win or you don't lose elections on European ticket. Uh, and this is the same everywhere in Europe. But on the other hand, in our societies, it has a direct impact on the level and quality of, 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 of the governance. And therefore, I, 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 I see the, the, the role of, of, of this process instrumental mm -hmm. for the internal dynamics in our, in our, in our region. Chapter 23 and 24, uh, this would be a, a, very good, a very good message for the entire region, but we have seen other, other, other forms. Angelica mentioned Albania in the case of justice reform, which is unprecedented, the level of engagement with, uh, with international experts. Nowadays I'm, nowadays, I'm afraid you can't do this in few EU member states. Mm -hmm. If you mention Venice Commission, or if you mention Commission services on rule of law, um, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid you, you, you won't have an easy discussion with, with few EU member states. But we have seen this, um, that the, our, 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 our judicial reform package, it's more ambitious than, than, than maybe even the, an action plan for in response to chapter 23 and 24. Yeah. And the journalist from, 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 from Albania asked the question to mm -hmm. Stefan whether it is credible from, from European Commission to come up with, uh, with a recommendation on Albania singling out the, the, the vetting Betting. process. And I will tell here a discussion I had with, uh, uh, with one of my colleagues from a key EU member states when he was reading a report about the wealth of, of judges, the declared wealth of judges in, in, uh, in, in my country. He was completely astonished. The wealth of High Council of Justice, he was completely astonished. So the fact that Commission uh, decided to single out uh, vetting law from the whole package of the rule of law related, related criteria, it's a sign of the evolution of, of the country in the reform process. And I'm sure that five key priorities mm -hmm. of rule of law related reforms will be there also when we start accession talks until the very last moment. And maybe we'll be there also when we join European Union, like we have seen in the case of, uh, of, of other countries that joined the European Union in 2004-2007. Whether uh, European Union could facilitate member states and candidate countries in addressing the bilateral disputes, I, 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 I'm not really sure whether it is in, on the DNA of, of EU to, 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 to do that. Mm -hmm. But I know also from the experience of, of, of my country that in the region we are facing three kinds of disputes. Disputes uh, that are emanating from the Second World War, 
you might be surprised, for instance, that in Greece there is still a war law, a state of war law against Albania, dating, dating back from the Second World War during the Italian-Greek war that took place also in my country. You have also disputes emanating from the dissolution of Yugoslavia, and you have also daily disputes that could be and can be handled more, more, more easily. So these are, these are three kinds of disputes we are facing. And, and I don't know whether uh, European Union or external service has the right instruments that, 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 that can help us in this, in this, in this direction. Right. And the last point on RICO, on the region. Uh, we have implemented a program with, with, with Serbia where 100 excellent students from Serbia came and spent a weekend uh, in the families of 100 uh, excellent students in Albania. It was a program facilitated by Prime Minister Raman, Prime Minister Vucic. And I've seen the movie that has been produced after, after their visit with their impression, and it was fantastic. Because let's face it, at least for Albania, because we have uh, former Yugoslavia countries and then we have Albania. So we did not have connections during communism. We did not know each other during communism. And the, the, the stereotypes, the negative stereotypes, remain quite strong. And their impressions from, 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 from their visit in Albania were, were really excellent. And we need to capitalize on that with mutual recognition of diplomas, right. with mobility, with uh, cultural exchanges that, uh, that, that, that are nourishing in the, last, in the last two, three years. Because all we know is about European Union, but I'm afraid we need to know more also about, uh, also about uh, our neighbors, Your ourselves. Neighbors. And we need to transform ourselves from former enemy into true uh, neighbors. And I believe this is also what the European Union is about. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Minister. Angelina, you've been uh, named several times as the External Action Service. Beautiful, uh, beautiful example just now, um, students, Serbia, Albania. And there. there are many examples of this, and I think that's very much where I would like to, you know, for us to put youth on the stage. Let us be there, and, and because there's too often we are talking about, about, about the other. It is, and that's maybe where the skepticism, that was the first question that came out, comes from where I, I really don't think that people in the region, youth in particular, feel the European Union. Um, feel what we are doing here at capitals level. There are not enough meetings taking place in the region. A lot is happening always in Europe, which is very important to keep all the member states on board. I agree, but we should also do that, that part of many, many more um, discussions, debates, dialogues, action, activity, culture. Thank you so much for the cultural heritage uh, input. This is a, a big takeaway for me uh, at, at this session because uh, we have to work on that, that's for sure. Um, and, uh, and, but it, it is that it's, it's always talking us about them. <laughs> and, and there is so much energy in the young people. I was in Novi Sad the other day, also the youth forum. There is so much work that we can do, and we, we basically have to do that. Um, one word from our friends on the, on the bilateral questions. An EU member state and a country from the region, a partner from the region. That is the big question to look at, and we have been discussing it many times. Uh, Didmir said we don't have the instruments to do that. I do believe it is in the DNA, though. 
And I do believe that where issues can be addressed and they need to be addressed, there are ways of doing it. Mm. Uh, I just, you know, this needs more to be worked out, particularly with the member states together, because that is a very big uh, point to address in the, in the upcoming time. So thank you for bringing it forward. Thank you. Gordon, please. Yes. Um, thank you. And I, I, I think I, perhaps it's the first question that's most relevant for a, a North American speaker. And um, you mentioned uh, a rise of nationalism, and we have seen this in all countries, particularly since 2008. Uh, but there, there were countries where nationalism was not only prevalent but dominant before 2008. So some of the nationalism is a reaction to economic crises, and some of it was uh, either through um, a series of political crises or a way to reestablish authoritarian regimes. Uh, some years ago, a couple of years ago, a phrase was coined that I, I uh, deeply detest, and that was an illiberal democracy. Uh, there is no such thing. Um, liberal democracies are the antithesis of authoritarian regimes. That is the opposite of a democracy. And nationalism is the opposite, or at least the negative side, of patriotism. It is a response to particular forces. It exists, as I said, in all countries, and we all need to address the causes of nationalism. I can look at uh, the recent election in my own country and say we have people who have said, we see that the government has great plans all around the world. We have problems here and we would like you to address those with equal vigor. And I think nationalism in every country can be um, taken on because it is not monolith, it is unique, I think, to every situation, where you say, what is the complaint and how do we deal with it? And we deal with it in ways that support the democracy and give voice to grievances, not in a way that chooses to block the voices of those who have grievances. You find that the most nationalist countries are those that are the most isolated, are those that oppress civil society, are those that jail and murder journalists. No country in the Western Balkans that I know of wants to be that kind of country. Mm -hmm. So nationalism does need to be addressed. And I think as progress is made on the economic front and progress is many, much of the discussion here on uh, approaching closer to the standards of the EU, some of the nationalism will subside. But there are outside forces that are trying to block that process, as we recently saw with the plots in Montenegro. Right. We must fight this, and we must all who believe in a better democratic future take this challenge on. But to do it, we need to address the grievances of the nationalist size of our population seriously and bring those people into the project and not try and wall them off. Thank you, Gordon. So, uh, Goran and Stefan, you have five minutes to share between the two of you. So, I'll give the floor first to Goran. Yeah. Thank you. I was asked. <laughs> well, you need your coffee, don't you, Tanya? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, please, Goran. Well, I was asked, how do I envisage 
business of non-as-usual business, and I gave proposals. As far as the RCC is concerned, Regional Cooperation Council, it is the gearing process of cooperation among the Western Balkan economies, which will bring them eventually into a kind of a single market, maybe custom union, on the way towards the EU, believing still in the EU, but let's do the job in between of today and that day. Second, uh, let me give you a figure. While Bulgaria was joining the EU, they were, and I spoke to the Prime Minister, uh, roughly that 36 or below 36% of GDP per capita of what was then an average GDP per capita in the EU. Hey, if you look into the website of the Regional Cooperation Council, you will see that the region is already there. We are currently, on average, at a 36% of GDP per capita of the EU 28 today. And no one is considering that this is sufficient, okay? New rules of the game, but we are working, and we hope that we will get closer to 40, 44, etc. But we are there where they were years back when they were considered to join. Second, what I would like to say, you know, we are referring here at the Berlin process. But it is not agreed EU policy, let me tell you very frankly. I am not sure that those here who are referring are aware that when it comes to the bodies of the EU and they want to write down Berlin process, someone, rightly or wrongly, says, guys, it's not EU policy, it's few countries dealing with the Balkans. And I'm very sorry, just I need to announce this. The phrase Berlin process failed to be agreed among the EU 28 recently in the council meeting. I'm sorry, these are realities. This is why I react like this. And then another reality, do you know how often our foreign ministers have been invited to sit with their foreign ministers to discuss anything together in the council? Once, and that was migration. When they were discussing enlargement, no. When they were discussing a new foreign security policies and ideas shared by uh, Vice President of the Commission, Mogherini, no. So we are not in a dialogue on the issues we believe we should be part of tomorrow. Only migration. This is sorrow. And this is where we are. This is why I'm saying what is business not as usual it would mean. And thank you, this was encouraging what you said, that at least you are considering, you are thinking about a possibility of engaging. This is the answer to you, Ambassador. Yeah, I think that the Council, through different bodies, eventually should decide to either invite all for negotiations or should decide to do the screening and engaging on all six on chapter 23-24. It is possible, and here I will stop, and my apologies, but I was in the Paris summit, and I've seen the faces of both Hollande and Merkel. As it happened to be only a week after the Brexit, they were very happy to see enthusiasm of our prime ministers mm. that they still care for the EU. This is also reality. I think that they were very happy. So let's hope that those who will come after them in a year from now, after elections, will understand the relevance of the Western Balkans as part of the European Union idea. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, Goran. Stefan, please. <coughs> Thanks. Sir. Um, some of the questions first, dual track uh, negotiation is not that. Uh, uh, there was no window of opportunity at that 
time uh, and there was uh, no support from the member states you need uh, to go ahead uh, but uh, my understanding is that uh, it is in the back pockets of the politicians uh, uh, and hopefully when the situation is, is, is right on the ground uh, uh, this is the way how to uh, uh, approach this issue the credibility uh, uh, in case of uh, uh, Albania the credibility is and the consistency of what the Commission is doing and its objectivity. The credibility is uh, in, in Commission making it clear that the period before the opening accession negotiation should not be actually turned into an accession um, negotiation. So, um, and the credibility could be only strengthened by the Albanian uh, parties, and I'm saying that knowing that uh, uh, Albania has been represented not only by the Dutmir but also represented representatives from the opposition by implementing uh, uh, what they have uh, uh, agreed and the credibility only could be uh, strengthened if the council then sort of uh, acts on the recommendation of the commission and just very short on the young generation um, I have absolutely no problem focusing on the young generation this is where we have uh, the biggest support uh, for unliberal thoughts uh, and the ways of doing business. So we need to do it. But let's not forget my generation, an older generation, okay? Because uh, we're growing mm. bigger and bigger. We are the one who do not like the change. We do not like the fast change. We are going to be a big problem, not the young generation in the future. Mm. Um, I'm not going to advise uh, uh, my very good uh, friend, uh, Johannes uh, Hahn, what to do. Uh, uh, he has uh, all my confidence uh, and he's doing a tremendous uh, uh, job. Um, but let me, uh, uh, let me at the end uh, uh, to uh, uh, finalize sort of my thought in the following way. Uh, first, the current pace uh, of the enlargement process is not sustainable, uh, uh, taking into account the in internal and external challenges. Uh, um, uh, by the way, if we are talking about the economic crisis and migration as something isolated, uh, then I'm sure we will find the ways how to correct it uh, and how to take away the ground from the nationalists and the extremists. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid, we are entering a deglobalization period, uh, uh, and I'm afraid it is a worldwide phenomena. And I am afraid that we will have in our integration efforts uh, actually to face disintegration uh, processes uh, uh, on, the global, on the global scale. That's why I'm making that uh, first uh, um, point. The second. The, the progress, uh, and there has been a number of the progress even the, uh, in the recent year, but it's still uh, too fragile for me to say that the whole region has crossed the line of no return when it comes to the accession to the European um, Union. Third point, any ground we disengage from in that region, uh, other forces will engage immediately. And, and the force, Brexit. Uh, you know what is the impact of the Brexit on the enlargement? Uh, 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 Angelina, I, I, would, I would sort of use your argument. Here you have a European country 
disengaging from the European Union. So for us to say the argument, Western Balkans, but you are a part of Europe. You know, this argument is not really relevant anymore. We do not have actually the arguments whether the Western Balkans are part of Europe or, or, or not. Huh? I mean, no one is, is, is questioning that. We are sort of debating uh, whether that uh, region uh, should and could be the part uh, of, the, of the European Union. Um, we need sort of to be uh, clear on that. Uh, the second uh, large set of the points is, you know, the responsibility is shared by both. Uh, in the candidate and aspirant countries, the member state. But if you ask me who is more responsible, because after all, there is, I would would not doubt for a second saying uh, uh, it's us. Because we have been not just observers, passive observers, we have been part of those tremendous changes uh, in this region of the Western Balkans. We have been behind uh, some of uh, uh, the issues and the consequences we face today. We have the responsibility. That responsibility cannot be taken from us and cannot be ignored uh, by us. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to the third uh, set of, of points, something what I already tried to do. Perhaps the final the, point, Stefan. The political steering is of utmost importance. 23, 24, why not? Well, we have high-level dialogue. We have a structured uh, dialogue. We have association uh, and stabilization uh, processes. We have a number of the instruments mm -hmm. to work uh, uh, with. But I, I agree that one of the instruments we do not have is to turning the Chapter 31 into a continuous platform for interacting between the member states and candidate and aspirant countries about the CFSP. And that needs to be corrected as soon as possible. And the second and the last point, uh, um, it is in the interest of the Western Balkans um, uh, to support each other and to use the regional cooperation uh, uh, to a larger extent. And it is in the interest of the Western Balkans, and I stop there, not speculating beyond that point, to try to synchronize the enlargement processes as much as possible. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. I'm not going to wrap this up. We have a continuing conversation during the day. We're going to talk about connectivity. We're going to talk about youth. Uh, we have a conversation with Commissioner Hahn as well. All I want to say is thank you so much for the panelists because you've given us really frank opinions and you've stirred us into discussions about what's going to happen. Very sober reflection in a world which is very volatile and very troubled where we all need to navigate very carefully and I think working hand in hand. So please join me in thanking our panelists 